There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Before we begin, I'm excited to announce that The Great Fail was the recipient of Adweek's Best Entrepreneurship Podcast of the Year. This is truly a great feat for an indie podcast and a direct result of all of you amazing listeners who tune in each week and share the podcast with your friends. I appreciate your support and I'm humbled by this great honor. Thank you all. And now onto our program. That was the tipping point for the mobile business, was really that iPhone coming in. Welcome to episode 21 of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails, what led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies. I am your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at Motorola. It was 2011, and activist investor Carl Icahn, Motorola's largest shareholder, was attempting to dismantle Motorola. Earlier in January, using his influence and public clout, he successfully convinced the board to split Motorola into two companies after it began losing market share for its mobile business. But just half a year later, Icahn was pushing for yet another split intending to liquidate the operating company so that Motorola could split off its patent portfolio, something he reasoned would result in a higher valuation. In his media interview with Reuters, he urged, we shouldn't let the tail wag the dog. The patent portfolio may be the company's most valuable asset and left many on Wall Street to consider whether he was indeed correct or whether this split would completely decimate what was once the global wireless powerhouse that invented the cell phone. Welcome to the story of Motorola, radioed in in 1928, lost in a dead zone by 2011. What do you remember about your first Motorola phone? 
So I first got a Razer maybe when I was in college and that was like one of the coolest phones that I had ever had. And it was the, the silver and black Razer and it was so like sleek and sexy and I just loved flipping it. That was like when you get a phone call and you just flip it open and that was the cool thing. But then Motorola came out with this awesome swivel phone that nobody had really and it was very low profile and it just swiveled to open. And it was probably the most expensive phone that I had bought around that time frame, which was around $300, which I thought at that time we thought, oh God, $300 for a phone. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. But it was so cool. And I believe it was in a James Bond movie, but that was like the highlight of my phone career. I remember my first experience with Motorola. It was a gift from my parents for my 13th birthday, which the iconic Hello Moto commercial had the entire school wanting the newest flip phone instead of the old style block face. I remember my first Motorola cell phone. It was a StarTac. I was 17 years old and in my senior year in high school. The phones went from a two pound brick to the size of a compact mirror and it was all the rage. My first Motorola phone was a flip phone, this classic kind of do nothing except make calls. And if you were lucky, you were able to send texts with them. And the keypad was just digits. When the Razer came out, because I had a screen with color, I just had to have it. Yeah, it was pretty awesome compared to a Nokia, which was, you know, indestructible, but just didn't have that sleek appeal. In the early 2000s, I was in my last year of middle school, and Jay-Z, who was the hottest rapper at the time, had just come out with a song called, I Just Wanna Love You. In the last line of the second verse, he says, I'm too cold, Motorola two-way page me. And immediately, everybody wanted a Motorola two-way pager. I remember back in high school, leapfrogging from the beeper into my first Motorola flip phone, which was the StarTech. And then when the Razer came out, the company really caught my attention because for me, the metallic pink one was the holy grail. It was sexy, it was sleek, shiny, and incomparable to anything else out there at the time. So it was truly revolutionary, and for a while, Motorola captured a big part of the cell phone market. And once I began working on Wall Street, all I saw were Blackberries and other smartphones, which was clear to me that Motorola had all but fallen out of the limelight. But the story of the rise and fall of the iconic Motorola was on so many levels a bit heart-wrenching when you think about their passage from leadership and pioneering the telecommunications market to their slow, bleeding death that spread out throughout the organization and decaying on every level before going under. What's ironic is that most people don't realize how they pave the way on innovation with inventions that to this day can be traced back to Motorola's contributions. For instance, Motorola provided radio equipment for most NASA space flights for decades. In fact, Neil Armstrong's first words on the moon... That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind were sent on a Motorola transceiver. The company was founded in 1928 by two brothers by the name of Galvin. So naturally, they named their company Galvin Manufacturing and started with selling their first product, which was battery eliminators. 
they went on to invent car radios and walkie-talkies, along with the first pagers for military, police, and fire departments. It wasn't until 1947 that they changed their name by fusing the word motor with the second half of the word Ola, which was a popular ending for successful companies back in those days. And successful they were, rapidly becoming a leader in all things radio. They were trailblazing for set-top boxes, modems, DVRs, semiconductors, and then after that, mobile phones. And for a while, this behemoth had a monopolistic reign as an undisputed leader in the cell phone industry. It made waves when it pioneered the first flip phone with the Microtac, and then the infamous clam phone, aka StarTac, in the 1990s, because this phone literally looked like a clam. And when the Razor was unveiled in 2004, it was a massive success. It sold around 130 million phones on launch, the most any phone had sold at that time, and it was named one of the most influential pieces of hardware ever. So, How did a company like Motorola lose their ability to stay on top in the engineering world and completely fall out of touch with their audience and reality? While Motorola was involved in several verticals, it seemed they had really found their foothold in the mobile phone business. And for a while, they were dominating the space hands down. But then some really notable players entered into the ring. By the name of Nokia, Samsung, BlackBerry, and this small other company you may have heard of, Apple. In retaliation to the glut of competing companies starting to flood the market, Motorola responded with their highly acclaimed Razer phones, generating one of the most successful launches in history. And they had a pretty successful run. This got them back into the game and put them into the number two spot in 2005. The Razer was considered one of the most influential mobile phones at the time, but as you can imagine, the consumer tech world can be quite fickle with all eyes looking at the latest, hottest gadgets. And as the mobile markets advance, so did its competition. It was Nokia's polished designs that would come to usurp Motorola's market share, with a few others coming in and throwing their punches at the behemoth as well. BlackBerry brought out their game changer for corporations, allowing for instant communications amongst employees. Apple's iPhones brought about groundbreaking designs and apps that were market-defining. So what did Motorola do? Instead of answering these challenges, they instead just sat back defending the Razor, not even offering a replacement or a version 2. Here's Jonathan Ruff, ex-Motorola executive, who was a senior director of technology during his final years there. Here he talks about Motorola's struggle with competition. As there were more competitive consumer-centric brands and products came in that were hard for them to compete against in a kind of manufacturing, can we compete against scale and bills, where they were the technology innovators. If anything, they were the market creators. And I sometimes think, you know, over the various things, their struggle was moving from market creator 
to the next stage of the market when it became very competitive in the sense of there were a large scale of competitors because people could build things easily. And you can use examples of the MoFun, some of the enterprise business models they went into, Semiconductor, and going back, the whole television space. They actually sold the Pulsar brand and television space off to Zenith. And then I think that ultimately went to Panasonic. So it was one of those early U.S. technology consumer tech companies, consumer companies. Unfortunately, the Japanese or companies from that market kind of came in and were more efficient and were able to build the things quicker and faster. They may be not technology innovators at that point in time, but they were really great fast followers and they ultimately displaced Motorola in those positions. In 2006, Motorola's market share was about 23%, but by the end of 2007, it dropped to just 12%, falling into third place behind Samsung. Besides competition, there were other obvious red flags of the company's imminent doom. But we'll hear more about that after a few words from our sponsors. You know what's something you should never fail at? Good insurance. That's right. In scary times like this, it's more important than ever to have good, solid coverage. And it's a daunting task. Having to scour, research, speak to agents, ask the right questions. Where do you even begin? But that's the beauty of Policy Genius. The team there makes it literally fail-proof to find you the right coverage at the best possible price. They combine a cutting-edge insurance marketplace with help from licensed experts to save you time and money. First, head to policygenius.com to answer a few quick questions about your needs, and then they do the rest. They'll compare rates from the top 30 insurers to find you the lowest quotes. Policy Genius saves their customers an average of $1,000 per year just by comparing their quotes. Their licensed experts will look at ways to even bundle your policies to get you an even lower rate. And if they find something cheaper than what you're paying for right now, they'll switch you over for free. There's a reason why they've earned five-star ratings across 1,600 reviews on Trustpilot and Google. You know you read those reviews. So if you own a home, a car, you're planning your estate, you'll need to get over to policygenius.com right now to get started. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Today's episode is also brought to you by BetterHelp Online Counseling. Is it just me or do things seem a little harder these days than eight months ago? Is there something interfering with your mental wellness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Let's face it, we all need a little help sometimes, especially with what's going on in the world today. If you think you may have an issue with stress, anxiety, relationships, trauma, or depression, BetterHelp offers online licensed counselors who are trained to listen and help you today. You can connect in a safe, private online environment that's fast and convenient. It's not self-help. This isn't a crisis line. It's professional counseling at your fingertips. Just fill out a questionnaire specific to your needs and get matched with a counselor within 24 hours. Then secure video or phone sessions, plus exchange unlimited messages. Everything you share is confidential and you can request for a new counselor anytime. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash thegreatfail. Join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. 
Again, it's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash The Great Fail. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Motorola was starting to face some stiff competition but there were obvious red flags from the start. I actually think the first red flag was the network switch from analog to digital. And Motorola had one organization that picked one standard and a second organization that didn't know which one to pick up three. That was the first time that you saw business units start to drift or start to separate and not work together. They became tribal. And then I think, within businesses because Motorola became recognized as the mobile company or the mobile phone company. The next part was the way and how many different platform products they actually had because even within the mobile phone tribe, there were fiefdoms where people wanted to try to protect their resources. So they came up with new ideas and new designs. New designs that came out a bit too late, unfortunately. Because anyone who understood the business during the time saw the industry moving towards 3G adoption and Android-based phones were the latest craze. But Motorola took their time to adapt to these trends given the internal strife. And by the time they came out with their own version, the product was ringing to an old tune. This failure was a critical error and the company suffered a huge loss. In fact, between 2007 to 2009, Motorola lost a whopping $4.3 billion. When it finally did change to the Android platform, they released the Droid in 2009, which promptly was awarded Phone of the Year by Time Magazine. But as all the other companies were vying for the number one position for smartphones, it was nearly impossible to stay afloat especially given what was about to come next. So what do you do when you begin to lose your relevancy in the market? Some may try to engineer a new way to compete. Others may want to pivot to a different market. But there was no denying that internally there was a fracture over where to place their focus, a schism over how to move forward even when analog was beginning to seem outdated. So to me, that was a pivotal point in Motorola's history as to why things, various things happen. One business said, we're picking this standard. And another business went, we're doing phenomenally well on analog, wasn't sure where to put their next bet. 
So they kind of maybe partially better than all three, or they picked, they dismissed one, which grew, and they picked one, which really didn't get the global market presence. And what ultimately occurred was the selling of Motorola's assets. Although they were at one time a market innovator, they were now losing their grip to the competition's new smartphones, including the iPhone, whose developers literally picked apart the brains of Motorola and then displaced them when they started to master the notion of consumer-centric solutions and seamless connectivity between devices. We were the first company to build an app-based device. We had both a pager and a smartphone. The smartphone was Java-based and the pager was a different technology standard-based. There was a QWERTY pager, it's called a PageWriter. And you could download apps and you download games and you could download things for that device and you could play them with a QWERTY keyboard or you could do applications back into your corporate network with a paging-centric to a messaging type protocol. So we were definitely the forefathers of that. Again, it comes back to that we led and innovated the industry in addiction. The challenge became when we had to make it as consumer-centric as possible. And, you know, and we told Apple, I mean, we built Rocker, which was a music-centric mobile phone with Apple. But they really limited what we could do on that phone and how many songs could be on there. And, you know, maybe in hindsight, I would say that they had already decided they were going to build a mobile phone and they were able to pick a lot of the Motorola people's brains and get knowledge and understanding out of Motorola as to how to build their phone. But they put that Apple stamp on it, that Apple stamp of we have to think about how to make this totally consumer-centric, consumer-simple, consumer-easy. And in some cases, they took out technology that a technology innovation company would put in because it made it too complicated. That was the tipping point for the mobile business, was really that iPhone coming in and starting to displace or be another competitive threat at the operator. Publicly humiliated and feeling backed into a corner, Carl Icahn put Motorola into a media pressure cooker, pushing for a split between the companies. And it happened because in 2011, Motorola became two new entities. Now, Motorola Solutions and Motorola Mobility, signifying an end to an almost 90-year empire. There was a level of competitiveness between some of the executives who kind of drove the split. But I think the second part was, which we shouldn't forget, it wasn't just internally that drove the split. Carl Icahn got seats on the board and he drove the split too because he believed that there was more value of the company being split up if you were a stockholder than if it was together. And he really forced that split. The first company, Motorola Solutions, concentrated on police technologies, radios, and commercial needs. Motorola Mobility, on the other hand, focused on mobile handset production. The split was structured so that Motorola Solutions was a legal successor of the original Motorola. The split definitely curtailed some of the buzz that the company had created from the droid, ironically stunting the growth of its own product. It seemed every time they took a step forward, they moved several steps back. Because that same year, Google announced that it would acquire Motorola Mobility. The market didn't know what to expect. 
However, the partnership did bring on some cool products, including the 2013 release of the Moto X under Google. This was a solid product with touchless control and an extensive suite of customization options via Moto Maker. They also came out with an Android smartwatch, a first-of-a-kind wireless Bluetooth earphone, and for about two years, it seemed Motorola was on its way back. But then something really devastating would happen to them again. In 2014, Chinese manufacturer Lenovo acquired Motorola from Google, a move that further perplexed Motorola fans. Another acquisition? After the small but promising success of the Moto X, this new move to Lenovo created further confusion to the market and clouded the vision and the North Star of Motorola. The company started to divert its focus from quality into quantity, creating more and more products and showing less and less focus. There was Moto X, Moto G, Moto E, Moto X Style, Moto X Play, Moto Z. The list continues on and on, but you get the point. It was all getting a bit convoluted. Beyond their focus in hardware, the software itself was, eh, lackluster. There were rarely any software updates. Security updates were non-existent, and to cap it all off, the device's battery life sucked, leading it to backsliding in the hardware and software game, which is a killer if you want to be a mobile phone leader. In January of 2016, Lenovo announced that it would slowly phase out Motorola, only keeping the classic M logo, but the brands would now be called Moto by Lenovo, stripping away any remaining traces of its name. In the final days, it was speculated that Lenovo only acquired Motorola's patent assets so that they can enter the U.S. market. That's worth considering as we still have Lenovo today, while Motorola phones are now obsolete. Rumor had it that during the acquisition, Lenovo's CEO was on the record saying that Motorola is our U.S. treasure. And we plan to not only protect the Motorola brand, but make it stronger. That seems unlikely given the decision to shut it down only two years into the acquisition. Remember, they had already sold off the semiconductor business. They had already sold off the cellular infrastructure business, which they sold it to Siemens and then Nokia and it kind of worked its way through various of what would be competitors before. So it had already hung down to a much smaller company. I mean, I remember being there and there were 130,000 employees when you looked at Semiconductor. And I remember Semiconductor leaving. The biggest angst was probably when Semiconductor split off from Motorola. For someone who was on the inside, the final days of Motorola could be described as this. The way I would think about it is groups of friends got split apart. People got laid off. There was constant, you know, layoffs because we weren't making the numbers. We weren't getting to the market share we wanted to get. We needed to get to. Therefore, they would cut something, and they would cut something, and they would cut something. Until there was nothing left. 
In the end, it was like Motorola was getting further away from the nearest cell tower. Once they lost their connection, everything started to get fuzzy. And though they were once this tight group, they got split apart, losing their assets, their focus, their purpose, and then their relevancy. Until there was nothing left of them but a rap lyric from an old Jay-Z song. Special thanks to Jonathan Ruff for contributing to this episode and sharing his valuable insight during his time at Motorola. And thank you for tuning in to this week's The Great Fail. Please make sure to visit our website at thegreatfail.com for behind-the-scene audio and video footage. If you like these episodes and want us to continue bringing you more, please subscribe to our newsletter because, well, not connecting with you would be our great fail. While you're at it, simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. The research on each episode is extensive, but none of them would be possible without the tireless efforts of researchers, writers, and reporters. They are all credited on thegreatfail.com under our show notes. Lastly, you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Great Fail Pod. And please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes to show your support. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. And remember, folks, with great failure comes great liability. I'm a-